Product managers give 100% of themselves to their customers. But who's there for the PM? The Product Management Center at the University of Washington. It's a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact. I'm Jeff Schulman, founding director of the Product Management Center and your host on this show, How to Succeed in Product Management. Each week, I'm joined by my co-host, Red, and some of the best product managers in the business. Together, we're having candid conversations that help you understand the challenges that a product manager faces, how they overcome them, and the tools and frameworks that will help you thrive in the role. So let's start the show. There are two things that are super important. Number one, there is a Slack group that we have hosted specifically for not just the conversation today, so that you can continue the conversation and build in the community of other product managers. And the best part is, I believe, and I have to double check, we are creeping very close, very, very close to 500 uh, in the group right now. So if you can join the group and help us get over the line, wait a minute, Jeff, my mind has been blown. We have 514 product managers in the Slack channel. I just updated it. This is a huge deal and I'm super excited because we've been trying to build up a place for PMs to go where they can lean on each other. And this is an incredible milestone. So thank you to the moderators and Jeff and Sumeya for helping be a proponent of this group specifically. So that's bullet number one. If you wanna join it, DM me, hit me up on Twitter, find me and come to that group. The second one is we're recording tonight's show. So if you have to leave for any reason whatsoever, or if you have a question and you wanna come on stage and ask it, just know tonight will be recorded and put onto the airwaves. And if you want to find it, you can go to Spotify or Apple, look up how to succeed in product management. So beyond that, I am enthusiastic about everything, but more so about tonight's conversation. So I'm going to shut up and hand the reins over back to you, Jeff. All right. Thank you, Red. I was going to say, if we're creeping towards 500, it's because we're really upsetting people today and they're, they're dropping off the Slack channel because we're, we're zooming right past it in the other direction. Uh, Sumeya has helped us build this community. Uh, she's built uh, so many communities around uh, product management around founders and startups and, and just technology in general. And it's wonderful to have her here every week in How to Succeed in Product Management. Sumeya, uh, could you share a little bit about yourself and um, why today's conversation about understanding the product development lifecycle is important to people, whether they've been in product management for years or are just getting started? Yes, Jeff and Red, thank you so much for hosting this event every week, religiously without fail. Um, and happy to see everyone here in the room. I'm Sumeya Bingana. I'm, I'm a product management leader. Currently, I'm at uh, VMware. Uh, and before that, I spent almost uh, 20 years at different companies as a head of products, as a CPO, as a founder, as a PM, and an engineer. So uh, excited to talk about uh, the product lifecycle from that perspective, uh, seeing it on the ground. Uh, product, the product life cycle is important because at different stages of the, the life cycle, there are different challenges, different considerations, different dynamics that matter. And so for us product managers, as we try to navigate the complex world we live in, the complex world that we try to bring our products to, uh, keeping all of that in mind can be helpful. Uh, not every market looks the same, not every product looks the same, not every uh, cycle or product life cycle necessarily looks the same, but having certain guidelines and certain frameworks in mind can be helpful uh, as we continue uh, through that complexity. 
All right. Thank you, Samaya. Wonderful to have you here as always. Uh, Kavita Kamani, you are on the founding advisory board for the Product Management Center. Helped us build this from the ground up by being the first guest speaker in the Foster the Product series and then the first person on the AMA uh, the, to do an Ask Me Anything on the Slack channel. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and also relative today's, uh, relevant to today's conversation, could you tell us about the products you've worked on in terms of where they were in their life cycle? Um, I know you've worked on many, so maybe it's just a general, all of them, but if you can kind of walk us through the different parts of the product life cycle that you've been a part of. Um, thanks, Jeff. Super excited to be here. I know a lot of us, but I, I want to thank you for being, uh, I think, the first professor I've seen who's so committed to um, you know, not only the students that, um, that you're teaching, but also just bringing product management to the rest of the community. So thanks for doing this. Um, so I lead the PM team that helps the Microsoft devices, cloud and, uh, and, and cloud supply chain and Microsoft scale and drive their business forward by having the right tools to do their job. So across my career at Microsoft, I've worked on various products at various um, stages. So right from conception to scrapping the product because it was not an idea that would work to scaling it to hundreds and millions of people. So um, yeah, I'm really excited for this topic. All right, glad to have you here. And then Howard, can you also tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, we're in the life cycle that you've been working on? Sure, hey, hey folks. Uh, again, super excited as well. Uh, quick background information. So Howard Brook, I am a product leader at Tesla right now. So I essentially lead a team of PMs that's responsible for our, you could almost say our financial platform for FinTech capabilities across Tesla. That includes global payments, subscriptions, as some of what we call the order to cash process. Um, I worked at Microsoft for about 10 years prior to joining Tesla. I've been with Tesla for three and a half years now. Uh, also like Kavita, I've also been involved in product from the original ideation phase all the way through incremental uh, development. So I've, had, I've worn multiple hats and I've been involved in all different phases of the public life cycle. All right, so we've got two, uh, three product leaders who have been involved at a variety of stages in the product uh, development lifecycle. And this question, this today's topic was actually seeded to us on the Product Management Center Slack channel from Gordon Ruby. And so I'm going to just kind of read what he asked about um, and see who wants to kick this off. I'm kind of looking for a story about what uh, product management and the development lifecycle looks like in practice and who's involved. Um, so I don't know who wants to take that and, and how deep you're able to go while sharing the oxygen in the room, but uh, that's the question of uh, what does it look like and, and who's involved? Um, Sumeya, I could always count on you for some uh, impromptu <laughs> answering. Sure, absolutely. Um, I'll, I'll give it a try. So when I think about the product lifecycle, I think about it from two, two places or two points of view. There is a market point of view, which has four stages to it, and, and you probably have seen that. Uh, and that starts with, you know, building it, then going through growth and maturity, then decline. And, and that usually has something to do with building to the market and how you play within a market. Then there is the aspect or the life cycle that you experience while you're building. Um, and, and the idea here is, well, there are all these four different stages uh, that, that are visible within the market. You as a product manager or a product builder, you're constantly building. You're constantly cutting out uh, 
you know, functionality you don't need. You're constantly doing things to your product. And what does that look like then is a little different. The, the framework I like to use um, has three pieces to it. The first piece is you're always in discovery always trying to understand what problems you're trying to solve, what your customer is looking for, what value are they looking for, what are the jobs to be done. Then there is the second stage, which is framing, which is all about what does the solution look like? Uh, Is there a process piece? Is there a technology piece? Uh, Are we using AI for this? Are we, you know, just the, the actual solutioning? And then there is the iteration and the iteration is basically coming back full circle, building and then feeding back to your discovery and framing to make sure that what you created satisfy those needs. And if it doesn't, you can turn, you continue iterating and learning and doing better over time. So those are uh, the two points of view I have around this general concept of life cycle uh, and would love to hear what others use or see as well. Yeah, I thought I'd add, um, this actually was the topic um, that I spoke on uh, when we did the Product Management Center talk. And I talked about these five Ds. Um, and the first stage, I would say, is kind of discovery, where you're just exploring ideas. And these ideas could come from anywhere. Um, you don't really know if there is value or a real need at this point of time, right? And so this, you know, it could be you, it could be you brainstorming with other folks that you're working with, um, and so on. The second phase is defined. You're trying to rationalize that idea now. So you can bring in user researchers um, that you work with, uh, and you're doing a lot of, uh, spending a lot of time with potential customers. Um, you're trying to ensure there's a real problem, there is a real business case, and there's a very clear ROI, a return on investment, right? As a PM, like you could solve tons of problems, but the key job that you have is, are you solving the most important and the most impactful problem, Right. The third phase is design. So this is now, you know, you're convinced this is worthy, worthy of going after. And now you're going to you think about how am I going to solve this problem? So here you might work with UX designers on, you know, mocking out um, the proposal. You might be working with engineers and building out your key hypotheses and validating those um, even before the first line of code is written, right? This is where you're building a concrete plan. And the fourth phase do is when you build. So this is where mostly your developers are building to the spec that you've produced, right? You're working very closely with them to drive clarity on requirements. Um, And the final phase drive is kind of where you, now you've built this thing. Now you're driving usage, you're driving adoption, you're, you know, measuring things. And so here you could work with your data folks as well as, again, more closely with your users um, and validate, again, revalidating your hypothesis on the final kind of build built product. Yeah, I'll chime in next year. Um, yeah, and I think uh, to Kavita's point, Sanjur, I think uh, just the uh, upfront planning, I can't emphasize how important that is. Uh, often as a product manager, one of the most important thing to do is managing your stakeholders uh, or herding cats, as I call it here. Uh, you know, oftentimes, especially in the space that I work in, where I work in a horizontal space, which happens to be payments across Tesla, I work with different business groups, whether you're the vehicle team or the energy team or the supercharger team, managing stakeholders and, you know, and, and assessing the ROI and doing what I consider a horse trading exercise amongst the teams is, is an important part of this whole entire process, in my opinion. At the end of the day, I think people often tend to weigh in based on more of a, um, I consider like a kind of flavor of the month perspective, right? Like what's hot. 
And I, I do think, you know, being level-headed and really understanding the business case, ROI, the customer impact is a really important part of this whole entire process. I, I wanted to add something very quickly because as part of that question, Jeff, you asked about the people involved in every stage. And um, Kavita's uh, point there or the insights she provided are right on. I wanted to just provide additional context or nuance. I think in general, we're all talking about software products. Uh, if we were talking about hardware, uh, some of those considerations might be different. Uh, but from a lifecycle perspective, you're still talking about the same thing. But for example, when we start talking about prototyping and design, that might uh, come in a little earlier in the process. Uh, and that's, that depends really uh, on the project and what you're trying to solve for. Thank you, Sumeya. And then I want to kick this back to Kavita. If you could go back, if you could just repeat those five Ds for everybody and then chime in with, you know, where, when you just get started as a PM, which phase are you most likely to spend most of your time in? Yeah, so what I was talking about was the five Ds I coined this thing um, as part of, you know, the talk that, that we were talking about earlier. Discover, define, design, do, and drive, right? So as a PM, you could actually, it depends, you could come in in any of these stages. And I think the key as a PM is, I think we need to be adaptable. We need to be willing to pivot and do what the situation needs. So depending on what phase, you may join the team. And maybe the idea is already flushed out and uh, the team is um, already executing. Of course, I think the first thing I would do is get super curious and make sure you can get behind it, right? And you are still convinced. So I wouldn't assume everything that was done before you is right. I would make sure that you can get behind it and, and you're convinced. And then, you know, you would do basically whatever phase you've joined, you've joined in. And so you could, it could be an idea where you're starting and then you're starting from the beginning it could be something where somebody else came up with it and you are kind of now flushing it out. Um, it could be that it's already in development and, you know, one of the MVPs or um, one of the stages is already done and you're taking it forward. Um, it could be that the product's there. Now you're thinking about growth and adoption. And so you're, you're coming in at the end. And thank you, Kavita. And then Howard, in, from your experience, uh, when you were first hired, which phase or which area did you spend the most of your time? Uh, you mean at Tesla or? Yeah, maybe yeah, share maybe. your uh, Tesla and then um, any other time that you've got started or that you hired somebody and they got started. I'm just kind of looking for context on where people spend the most of their time and, and how, how that's been in your experience. Yeah, so at Tesla, I was hired on as a product manager to help um, incubate or you could say launch the initial phase of what I consider to be the order to cash process and take our legacy payments platform and modernize it so that we can scale to the growth that we're having right now. So uh, it was very early on. I, I would say the initial payments platform that we had at Tesla and some of their uh, backend platform capability was a little not prime time ready. It's probably the best way to describe it. So I came in after the initial uh, platform was somewhat set up. But it was mainly to take that to the next level to make sure that we can scale both from a technical perspective as well as from an innovation perspective. Thank you, Howard. And then, uh, Sumeo, where do you see a new product manager spending most of their time within these different parts of the life cycle of a development? Development. Yeah. <laughs> Off my game here today, but uh, they'll edit that out for the podcast, make me look polished and professional, but the live audience gets to see and hear the missteps. 
but yeah, Sumeo, where do you see uh, product managers when they first get started spending most of their time? We get the best version of Jeff here. Um, so I think the I'm, I'm going to have to start with the unsatisfactory answer of it depends because it depends on two very important factors. One, um, the maturity of the product or what stage is the product at? Uh, and you know, that's not something that the PM who's hired in has really any control over. But then having said that, I would say consistently, whenever you're starting any new role as a PM, you're going to spend most of your time listening and asking questions, regardless really of what uh, stage the product is at, whether it's the beginning, the end, the middle, or anywhere else. Uh, And so for me, you know, that question asking changes based on what stage you're in, but consistently you're going to have to have that critical thinking aspect or skill going on. You're going to have to ask great questions or a lot of questions so you can ask more right questions. Uh, And then taking those questions, you're going to be able to determine exactly what is the right thing for you to be focused on because you're going to get some direction from your manager or from the leader who hired you but it might not actually be the right place for you to start. Um, and so as a PM, you take a step back, you listen, you ask questions, and then you determine the next step forward. Thank you, Sumeya, for that context. Now, my next question for the three panelists is, um, what's the most fun part? So both Kavita and Sumeya gave us uh, um, different frameworks for roughly lay- nicely laying out uh, from all the way from uh, developing the idea to executing and improving upon it. And I'm curious, from your own experience, what do you have the most fun doing and why? What makes it that? Uh, what makes it fun? Because I think this will be helpful for others to understand, like, are they alone in what they enjoy doing? And I think for newbies, it'll help them understand, um, you know, where do they want to try to put their focus in to get started? So, Kavita, go ahead. Yeah, I, you know, I love the initial phases. Um, I love I am a data junkie, um, and so, you know, I love both kind of being able to test my intuition and my experience as well as backing that up with data to be convinced, um, you know, is this a real problem? Actually digging in, first of all, to find the real problem. Um, And I'll just give you an example. I had, um, you know, in in my world, um, we have this thing where the sourcing managers who are working with suppliers to go procure parts to go build like a surface device, they use some tools, and there was a bunch of latency in that um, in that tool. So the the sourcing manager is trying to roll up the cost and say, what's the overall cost of the product based on the bids that they've gotten? And the problem that was originally given to us is, yeah, it's, it's very slow. The latency is twenty four hours, and it needs to be minutes or you know seconds. And but you, I basically I said, hey, I want to go see you do this. Like, how do you do this? And I noticed what I noticed is it the tool was so slow that they would go use it, and literally they would go put a post-it and go grab coffee, and come back. And you know, right there, that empathy that you get with the user, how bad this problem is, gives you a different level of understanding of the problem. Then you can go understand okay, what are what are they trying to do? What is taking so long? Uh, what does success look like here? What is the challenge? And then I think really figuring out, is that a problem? And, and gives you a very clear idea of, is that a problem worth solving? How often are they doing this thing? What is the impact of you know that data being inaccurate or or not fresh? And, and I think really spending as a PM that time to understand your customer, 
to understand the problems and understand the opportunity and the change that you're driving. And that's the most exciting part for me. Yeah, Jeff, I'll go next here. Uh, for me, I think it's the ideation across the company. Uh, in working at Tesla, we are often given very limited timelines with very aggressive, you know, one statement goals. Just to give you some example, we were asked to launch what we call the Netflix of solar, uh, solar panels. Essentially, Elon wanted us, not Elon, but business and the leadership wanted us to launch a subscription model for our solar panels. Crazy, crazy idea, as you can imagine, right? Because when you think of subscription, you usually think of, you know, movies, software, et cetera, et cetera. You don't think of it in the context of solar panels. So that's something that I think we had to work across the company to uh, ideate, not only across the engineering and the product teams, but also with the business side. So that is something that I think, especially, you know, a company like Tesla, where a lot of the culture comes straight from Elon here, is that we are asked to operate without boundaries and barriers. So that's something that I definitely enjoy more as part of that process is the initial ideation and working across the company with kind of a very like-minded, you know, uh, won't take no for an answer, that type of an attitude and just basically working together to solve a very difficult problem. For me, really, and and it could be because I'm a glutton for punishment. (laughs) Um, I love every aspect of product management. There isn't really one that I don't like. Uh, including dealing with difficult stakeholders. Um, The parts that I tend to enjoy the most are the ones where I find tension and no easy answers. So, um, for example, uh, in the world of B2B software, rarely do you get an opportunity to do A-B testing. And so most of the conclusions you draw and the 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 path forward you define is based on qualitative information, feedback from users, and conversations with users. Um, you know, the level of certainty is not necessarily very high. Uh, and that to me is very interesting because it creates this problem of what exactly can I build the leanest possible piece that I can get enough validation from to know if this works or doesn't, for example. But then a lot of these uh, tensionful situations come up throughout the life cycle, not just early on in the validation, also later on when you're trying to look at are these feature useful, features useful and what should I remove? What is dragging the product down? Um, if you're looking at funding or hiring to the team or... Um, you know, dealing with stakeholders, all of that, all of those two, uh, parts of the of the product management craft uh, can be full of tension and no easy answers. So I love that. All right. Speaking of no easy answers, we are about to have questions that from the audience uh, for which hopefully they'll put you to the test. Our three panelists here sharing how to succeed in product management. For those just joining us, my name is Jeff Schulman. And I'm a professor at the University of Washington's Foster School of Business and founding director of the Product Management Center, which is a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact. And we're trying to have an impact by making a more diverse, inclusive, and skilled product management community. And I'm thankful for my co-host, Red, who pushed us to be here on Clubhouse every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time uh, with a new topic each week. And the topic we've been discussing so far is uh, a breakdown of the product development lifecycle what it looks like in practice, who's involved, and what's the most fun aspects of it. 
And so now it's time for you. You get to chime in either with questions or your thoughts that help uh, bring more color and, uh, and examples uh, to the product development lifecycle. So Red, uh, tell them there's multiple ways to play here today on how to succeed in product management. Remind them and take the stage is yours to manage. Yeah, rock on. This is a playground and you get to come on stage and join the sandbox with these incredible product managers. Here's how you do it. Uh, as you can see, your uh, there's a little hand at the bottom of your clubhouse page. You click on that and that's how you raise your hand. But uh, there are conditions to coming on stage. One, you have a photo and two, your profile has to say something about being in business or in product. If it's just about being a life coach, uh, we do appreciate advice and open-ended conversations of how to be better, but we'd prefer to focus and prioritize those in product. Also, if you are a little shy, it's understandable, go to the Slack group. There's an events channel in Slack and you can ask your question and uh, we'll represent you and ask the question for you on your behalf. Uh, if you prefer not to be named, even more gun shy, that's totally cool too. So with that in mind, come up on stage. We're gonna put you up on stage one by one. Just mute yourself when you get on stage and uh, we'll go in the order of those that have come on up. So with and that Suresh, I want to give a quick shout out too to uh, uh, a founding advisory board member for the Product Management Center, Parul Shori, who's in the audience, and also two of our guests from previous episodes of How to Succeed in Product Management, Shaylee and Nivi, are, are in the audience. So if they feel like they want to come up, uh, please welcome them up to join us. And if not, then a shout out. Uh, we appreciate you being here. So with that in mind, Suresh, being the first one up on stage, the quickest in the land to raise the hand, someone who has uh, B2B experience in product, do you have something you want to add or do you have a question for the panelist? The stage is yours. I have a, a rather a question. Uh, so I have been doing this product management, but uh, product management has different flavors in different organizations and within the organizations in different lines of business, they have different meaning. The current role, what I am doing is mostly uh, except GTM, I do everything, right, from requirements, talk to partners, supply your uh, customers, and uh, yeah, your solution management, and write the requirements in Jira, and work closely with the team. Okay. Now, I'm uh, looking for a product management role, where it is more uh, not working the team. Uh, however, I'll be kind of doing all the things, I'll be working with uh, cross teams, uh, uh, cross product teams and uh, yeah, customers, partners, and writing the requirements, of course, prioritizing. So how do you see uh, the transition here and what can be the kind of uh, questions do you expect or the challenges you see? But I have a very good experience from end to end, right from requirements to the code is developed and validated and talked to sales and everything. No, Suresh, this is, this is a hot topic. People love books and they love technology because that's where they can get a lot of resources from these kinds of questions. So uh, I'll kick it off uh, Sumeya to start. What do you think could satisfy this uh, product God level request to be able to connect across so many teams and functions? Um, do you have any recommendations here? Yeah, I do. I do have a quick clarification just to make sure I understand the question. So Suresh, um, is your question, how do you uh, develop or learn uh, the skills that allow you to manage these different teams and stakeholders you have to influence? Or is it to move towards a different kind of product management role? The second one. Okay. 
And in in this second product management tool, you're looking, you want it to not be interfacing with the customer. No, no, not interfacing, not interfacing with the developers. Oh, you don't want to interface with the developers. Yeah, I'll be writing the requirements and prioritizing yeah. the stuff, but I won't be, you know, be doing the more uh, uh, product owner kind of role. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's an interesting question. Uh, I think I, I'm going to start it by saying uh, that, to your point, I think you started your question by saying that not all products management roles are the same. Frankly, I don't recommend someone go into products management if they don't want to work with engineers. <laughs> but having said that, I also recognize that different organizations have different structures and different expectations. Uh, and so, and that's all I can really say on the subject. I'm not sure uh, if there are specific ones that, that have that framework. I'll let others jump in. Yeah, let me chime in here. So I think you're right. I think that is a very, at least, Based on my experiences, most PMs that I know, one of the requirements is to engage directly with developers. Having said that, I think the other thing that you know people often forget here is as PMs, our job is to drive clarity, clarity with technical teams, clarity with business teams, and clarity with your peers and other stakeholders. So at the end of the day, even though your role may not require you to work directly with engineers in terms of maybe uh, creating like, detailed specs, I do think you know it's going to be impossible for you to not drive clarity with your technical team. At the end of the day, PM is all about driving that clarity, right? So as long as you can do that, for me, I think that's the most important skill set. Well, I, I would just want to add um, that I think you should probably think about what is it that you're truly looking to get um, and why, um, and also look to see if in your current role um, or kind of in the periphery are there are the changes that you can do to make the role what you want it to be. Awesome, awesome. All great answers. Weighing in on, again, a really difficult question. So, Suresh, thank you for weighing in on that one. We are going to move on to the next question, make sure we have room for everybody. And Sushma, uh, coming in with my favorite colored glasses, uh, Director of Product, please, the stage is yours. Hi, Jeff. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much. Um, I'm uh, relatively new to Clubhouse. Very recently uh, started joining these communities and uh, started following Somea, and that's how I found this group. Um, so thank you for this uh, channel here. Um, so my, uh, I would say, opportunity that I have in front of me <laughs> or a challenge that, that I have in front of me right now is um, we have two areas. Uh, I'm, I'm responsible for bringing a portfolio of products together under, uh, you know, to, to kind of transform it into a suite. Um, so there's a, you know, historically based on acquisitions, um, pre-existing products uh, within our company, like, you know, about 20 year old product that needs to go through its own modernization, digital transformation. Um, you know, uh, products coming in from uh, some acquisitions we've made in the last couple of years and also some new innovative directions we want to go into. So bringing all of that together um, uh, under a, a suite. And then I know I see there are you know, some uh, players here from, from some of the big organizations. Are there any best practices that you could share um, to kind of bring this? Because we have different kinds of stakeholders um, here. Um, and then how to, yeah, I'm just looking for some best practices and ideas as to how to bring these three pieces together under a, a suite or a portfolio of products. 
Um, Sushma, I think I mentioned last time that this is actually an area I work on a lot with clients, uh, specifically application modernization. You know, with VMware clients, for example, who want to move their current application portfolios to the cloud, a lot of times that necessitates uh, some sort of modernization work that allows it to happen. Um, I, there is there is a lot here to 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 discuss. Um, I want to. I'm going to do two things. One, I think I had mentioned that I would do a room on this topic just for us to go deep. Um, but I'm also going to send you to VMware.com and then I believe backslash Tanzu, so T-A-N-Z-U. There are a lot of uh, case studies there. Um, there are a couple that I worked on myself that I can go into details with you. Uh, and basically, the, the, the framework that I use includes a couple of methodologies. One of them is called SWIFT. Uh, and, and Swift is just used to break down the technical part of the application in ways that we can uh, then modernize and think about in concise ways. So that, that part, I believe, is uh, sort of easy. The hard part is the initial part that we PMs are responsible for, where we have to understand within these applications what is truly valuable, what is not. What matters to the business outcomes? What doesn't? Uh, and make choices there before we even go forward with any of that technical wor- work. Um, so, and for both of those, there are analysis frameworks I use. Um, and some of them you can find on the Tanzu website I mentioned. Uh, but this is definitely a great topic for us to spend some time on because I think a lot of the big organizations and the Fortune 500s are going through that every day. Uh, and it, uh, a lot of us PMs uh, work through it or have to work through it. I would be curious about what others, Kavita, what are you seeing? Yeah, this is Kavita speaking. Um, so I think what I, I'm curious, uh, we were trying to build, uh, you know, bring these suite of products together. And what's the purpose? Is the purpose that there is one set of users and one set of user and that user has a very complex journey? through these products because they're all different and you're trying to simplify and unify kind of their experience? Or are you just trying to go tell the story of how these things work together and if there's dependencies um, and, and between these products? Thank you for the question, uh, Kavita, and thank you for the insights, Samaya, uh, first of all. Um, so uh, the purpose of, for bringing this together is, um, you know, just thinking, putting ourselves in our customers' uh, shoes, right? Uh, there are different stakeholders within the customer organization, and these products historically have served the different silos, if you will, within those organizations. And the, the goal is to bring this, bring the information exchange and the collaboration within the organization together. And um, that's the purpose of bringing our different products together, you know, and uh, shared exchange data. And um, the products have evolved over the years for serving different purposes. And, you know, there's, of course, what we are trying to look ahead a couple of years down the road. Um, so that hopefully helps you understand um, the purpose behind bringing it together right. because, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, you know, in my world right now, we have this a lot because uh, the tools have kind of evolved over the years. Um, they were solving 
siloed problems and hence siloed solutions existed and there's a whole bunch of them and you know they just don't work very well together and there are these seams because of which at the end of the day we're not able to achieve the business outcomes or there is a ton of toil that gets created um or there's a lot of inaccuracies that get created because data is not flowing from one part of the system to another so i would go back to the you know drawing board in terms of what's the core problem that exists as a result of the fact that you know you have all these disparate tools and what's where, what are you going after and i think that will give you some insight as to what are you pivoting at is it discovery of these things is it um taking your users through a guided uh journey as you know, to connect these tools together or is it you know something that needs to happen in the back end to connect the data to connect these systems better so they are they're working better together right so i think i i would go back to um exploring what the core problem is and the core problem is in that that these tools so many tools exist uh, there there's probably a deeper core problem there jeff i think we noticed there's someone who's been a panelist in the past you want to introduce the mic is yours Yeah, welcome Nivi. You offered some great insights on an earlier episode of How to Succeed in Product Management. Great to see you in the audience and pull you back up on stage. Uh curious if you could just quickly introduce yourself and um I don't know if you want to tackle a little add on to Sushma's question or if you want to just share some general thoughts on uh the product development life cycle and what it looks like as a PM. Sure. Uh, hi everyone. Uh Uh, happy to be here the second time uh, so i'm a senior product manager with the uh, amazon i work on the amazon seller experience uh, especially on uh, shipment cre- creation and uh, to add on to uh, shushma's question and what folks were discussing uh, i think uh, one of the challenges that my team faced is the shipment creation experience is pretty much something into which every other team plugs in their products it's like a platform into which things like transportation fits in so on so forth and with the old workflow that we used to have all these experiences were so isolated that when a seller comes in and uses the product it feels like they were going through different products built by different teams and in order to make this seamless uh, we had to build the rebuild the product for other reasons but uh, when we when we rebuilt it what we did is had an engagement model whereby whenever any team wants to build uh, onto the platform or um, or need support in order to add new features to it we used to assign a pm from our team as a poc who was pretty much responsible for making sure that the end to end seller experience was the same and doesn't uh, conflict with other features that other pms are launching etc so in addition to launching features and improving the workflow another role that folks on my team take on is being poc for teams which want to engage with us and build features on top of our product Thank you Nivi and thank you for joining us. Uh Sushma, I hope that uh, you got 3 for the price of 1. I hope they were able to help you and address your question. Um Red, I'm going to let you turn it to whoever's next. Yeah, Sushma, thank you so much for the question. Next up we have Ahmed in the EdTech space looking pretty fancy, Ahmed. The stage is absolutely yours. The best dressed person so far in terms of profile pictures in the room. Please. Take it away. Uh thank you Red. So I want share. I have like one share uh, an experience and on the question. So the experience is like my experience is like the best uh, part of product development for me is working with the innovation teams. When you are working with a new product, uh, especially in hardware uh, area, like when you have mechanical, electrical, and software guys uh, working with a new product idea that you will provide or show to the customer, 
this is my my best part of product development lifetime and uh, i have a question uh, for you guys uh, regarding uh, when you are working with outsourced uh, engineers and what kind of relation you need to build with outsourced engineers and and the manager of those engineers in the, in the outsourced company what kind of feedback you need to provide to him uh, directions uh, i need like tips for this kind of relationship yeah, let me try to answer this. At the end of the day, right, whether they're outsourced or insourced or they're right next to you or 5,000 miles away, they're part of your team. And I think everybody should have the same shared goals and uh, shared uh, you know, end results, right? So I wouldn't treat them any differently, in my opinion, whether they're your, your, your primary dev engineer or whether they're you know, maybe a junior engineer. I think you should treat them exactly the same. You know, I think the most important thing, in my opinion, is ensuring that everybody is aligned to the common goals. So for me, yeah, engineer I, is an engineer, right? I wouldn't treat them any differently. Yeah, but if you, even you are using the same playbook, uh, Howard, uh, you, you like you are facing some like they uh, like they are afraid. I I I see like I, I deal with outsourcing engineers that they are afraid. They don't uh, like share their true opinion sometimes because they they, uh, they are. They think they are like they are dealing with the customer, not they are a team player. No, that, that that's a great perspective. Actually, you're right. I think you know, especially when you hire a consultant or a third party vendor or whoever, who are basically getting paid to complete a project. I, I do agree with you that they're a lot more tentative, and I think you know a lot of them don't tend to push back just because they take whatever you say as the gospel and try to move forward. So I think that is a very valid and fair point. Having said that, I also do think it's uh, setting that culture and that expectation upfront that you welcome all feedback at the end of the day, right? So, because you know, what I realize is that I don't have all the answers. <laughs> I rely on my dev counterparts, whether they're senior or junior, to weigh in with gaps. And my understanding on it as well, I do think setting that expectation upfront, especially as a PM who's often looked upon as a leader of that engineering team, to set the expectation that hey, I don't have all the answers. I welcome all the feedback. So. For me, that's how I operate on here. Again, I don't pretend that I have all the answers because I don't. And I you know, try to create an open forum or an open environment or an open culture where developers are free to weigh in, you know, uh, third vendors or you know, full-time employees for that matter. Well, uh, Howard, being true to product, you're always keeping your ear open. And that is the best part about product managers is when they promote listening, that's where the best products are born. So Ahmed, a uh, great question. I think we're going to go for one more question before we go back to the panelists to do some peer-to-peer -peer questions. So with that in mind, uh, I believe, Todd, you are next up, please. The stage is yours. All right, hey, I made it, thanks. Um, so just to kind of uh, give some context to my question, um, you know, I've noticed, you know, classic uh, product management, you know, it's all about viability, desirability, feasibility. Um, but something I've noticed where I've worked is that there's this uh, need and desire to, to show something shiny to very important stakeholders, um, like, like shareholders. Um, you know, we need this thing to just be created um, and to show that we're doing something. And um, I'm really noticing, you know, this is about optics. You know, we're doing work. Uh, it may, we have to, like, make the company look, look good. And I'm finding it's different than, um, than business goals. And that, you know, these goals are actually sometimes counter to the business or the business has to change to meet these, you know, kind of quote unquote political goals. Um, and, um, yeah, I'm just wondering, 
um, you know, how, how does a product management kind of deal with, uh, you know, political things and optics, um, something like, you know, Tesla, uh, looking out, you know, in the, in the media, how it's portrayed, you know, directly impacts its stock price, um, things like that. I'm just going to take a quick, um, stab at this and I have a clarifying question for you Todd and then I'll turn it over to Howard since you uh, asked about Tesla um, so Howard or sorry Todd the the question or some of the underlying political aspects of this is, is it also driven by the need for um, funding for example when you're working within a government structure you're um, the leadership is the one that okays funding and not necessarily anyone else. So they are in some ways a customer too. Um, are those the people who we're talking about here? Um, in this case, this is like, I guess like a higher level above that, um, like electability, uh, making an announcement, um, that kind of stuff. Right. And so to me as a products managers, bec- uh, manager, I always think about outcomes. Uh, and electability is also an outcome, uh, you know, within within the range of outcomes and things we built for. There are outcomes that matter to the people who fund. Uh, there are outcomes that matter to the user, the end user. And as a PM, I think we always have to balance that. Uh, even internally, for example, the customer can tell us that they want something, but then leadership and us PMs also look at what's going on in the competitive landscape. And because of a need to have some parity, we might decide to do something else. Um, I, you know, although I, I bring this up because this is a case of no easy answers. <laughs> uh, and depending on the organization and the structure and the outcomes that matter, the, the, the PM can decide that electability is actually an outcome that they should work towards. It's not a wrong answer. That's my take on it. Howard, what do you think? Yeah, um, I think any large corporation, unless you know, you're working at a two or three person startup, I think politics is uh, inevitable. You're going to have it, right? So uh, I do think, uh, uh, Samia, to your point, I think that is definitely an important thing. People, I know some people tend to create this really elaborate, you know, uh, organizational or stakeholder matrix to figure out who the influencers are. I think there are some merits to that. I think understanding who your stakeholders are and what influence and what organizational um, hierarchy there are, I think that is also an important thing. But for me, I think the most important thing has been data, right? So even if it's politics, so for example, I had a stakeholder that wanted a particular capability done on the payments platform. And and this is something that they've been asking for, I think, for about six months. And they were asserting that this is the most important value. Customer experience was off the charts, et cetera, et cetera. When we looked at the data, we're talking about 10 transactions a month. So we, I was able to easily push back on this particular priority or particular ask, even though politics was involved. When I presented it with hard data, which basically says this doesn't make a whole lot of sense, um, I was able to basically uh, put that to rest. So I do think understanding your audience as well as really understanding the data does go a long way in terms of you know being able to navigate around the politics. And I was going to chime in too. Howard said it very well 
earlier in this conversation that a, a product manager's job, this is Jeff speaking, sorry. Uh, so this is Jeff speaking and, and Howard answered this question. Uh, ah, <laughs> you're seeing like the behind the curtain here. Uh, we'll get that edited out for the podcast as I'm rambling here. But um, yes, Howard said something earlier in the conversation that was uh, very insightful, which is a PM's job is to bring clarity. And so I think by having clarity in what you're doing, having clarity in why you're doing it, and having clarity in what you're not doing and why you're not doing it. And so if they're trying to manage not by objectives or OKRs as uh, the popular term now, if they're instead trying to manage by out, um, outputs in terms of like, what do we do? And we want to build something to show that we've built it. It's the PM's job to be able to push for clarity and to create the clarity as to what is it that's pushing the business forward and what is it that's pushing uh, a better solution for our customers. So I think really what, what Howard said brilliantly is just, you know, PM's job is about bringing clarity pretty much uh, around throughout the organization. And I think that helps address kind of your question there, Todd. Um, now, speaking of questions, I want to turn to our two uh, moderators today, our two guests today, and see if you have a controversial opinion or a pressing question for your fellow product managers on this panel. Uh, I'll start with Kavita. Not a controversial but question, but I think um, as a PM, we're drawn in so many different directions all the time and we're managing you know, and influencing sideways, we're managing and influencing up, we're working with customers, we're working with our teams. Uh, my question to Sumeya and Howard is, what's your go-to tactic to bring focus back into what you need to do at this moment? So I, you know, I talk a lot about outcomes and um, we can call them OKRs or objectives or anything else. But I truly use outcomes to prioritize a lot of aspects of my life, including my work. So every week I try to understand what outcomes matter that week and then prioritize everything I do around that. Um, I, you know, it's not necessarily easy. I mean, that's where I start from, from a position of really understanding this week, I need to have the following outcome. You know, I need to, to have an offer out to a candidate or I need to, uh, onboard someone new, or I need to have my kickoff with this important, uh, customer or client. Um, and, and then, you know, I have a probably, you know, a list of three or maximum five. Uh, I try not to do more than that. Uh, sometimes they go into the output category more than outcome because of the short time period. Uh, but that's where I start my week. And then, yeah, I try to prioritize around that if it doesn't fit within there and the time I have slotted because I also use time blocking. Um, then it doesn't fit into the week and it has to go to the bottom of the list. Yeah, I think um, <laughs> I'm actually in the same camp as uh, Sumeya on this. Uh, at the end of the day, you only have 24 hours a day or you know, far less than that, obviously. And I think it ultimately comes down to the impact and the outcome and the results. Uh, especially as a PM, you're going to run out of time. You, know, you don't really have time to respond to every email. You don't have a time to address every single issue because you will be stretched thin. I do think is prioritizing definitely the results and where you can make the biggest impact. That's usually kind of the uh, approach that I take as well. Very similar to some of And Howard, uh, your turn. Do you have a controversial take or that you want to get validation or a, a debate going? Um, or do you have a question for your fellow panelists? Yeah, I think it's more of a comment. So 
You know, I do a lot of recruiting uh, or hiring for across Tesla, just on our team and across the company as well, too. And I think a common question or a perception that's out there is people, again, it's not related to this particular topic, but I wanted to put it out there for feedback. And I'd love to get other people's perspective on this. Is I think people often equate or associate work-life balance with happiness. And, and I find that to be a very interesting and a controversial topic. Because one of the things that I, when I look back in my career, at, if I look at Tesla right now, I probably work more than I've ever worked in my lifetime uh, across my 10 years at Microsoft or any other job. But I've never been more happier just because of the job satisfaction. If I look back as well, too, and I'm, you know, in my career, I realized that the, the, I think the time that where I was least happy or least satisfied were the times that I actually put in 30 hours a week versus the time that I put in 70 hours a week. And for me, that's very easily quantifiable because of, you know, I think you can, when you look back, you usually want to assess or associate um, your happiness with impact. So I'd love to, I guess it's more of a comment on it as well. You know, I'd love to get people's general feedback on the, again, work-life balance, I agree, it's absolutely critical. No one can sustain a 70-hour work week. I think that's obviously not sustainable. But I'd love to get people's feedback on that perspective in terms of, you know, um, maybe over-indexing on this concept of work-life balance. Maybe so, may I, Kavita, I'd love to get your feedback. Yeah, I think that's a great question, Howard, because you're basically saying, what is the outcome that, or what's the objective that we should be measuring? And uh, work-life, quote, work-life balance is more of uh, input. Um, but Kavita or Sumeya, anything to respond to his yeah. comment? I think, you know, I've started calling it more work-life flexibility um, rather than work-life balance, because I think for me, what's more important is being able to be where I need to be at any point of time. So I have young kids and, you know, if my job gives me the opportunity to be part of their lives for like graduation events or whatever, that to me, that flexibility is what I seek. But back to you, Howard, like I think the biggest thing is if you're satisfied with your job and if you are, um, if you feel like for me, what's important is... Am I driving value? Am I leaving things better than when I started? Um, and am I being recognized for that value, right? And, and if, as long as that's true, am I driving impact? Am I, as long as that's true, I think the time just flies. So it's not really about the number of hours, but, you know, am I, is the job giving me that feeling or am I able to accomplish those goals while making sure that, you know, the job is working for my life? All right. And then Sumeya, do you want to chime in on that and with any concluding thoughts? Because I know you have to go. Well, this was this was a really good question. And uh, Kavira's and Howard's input or thoughts here um, got me thinking. I don't think I have my my thoughts completely formed, uh, but I, I want to share the part that I, I am certain of, which is uh, over the past 20 years, my definition of what matters to my happiness has changed. Uh, and so, and the happiest points <laughs> have been the ones where I stayed centered or and true to what mattered to me at that point in time. And again, it changed over time. Different aspects were important when I was 20 than now. Um, and just having the confidence to be comfortable in my skin um, and ask for what I need and get the support I needed. And if I don't, you know, um, there is a book called uh, The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F. Uh, essentially that, um, you know, just being centered in me. That's it, Jeff. 
that's my uh, thought for Excellent. the day. Excellent. Thank, thank you, Sumeya. Appreciate it. And if you have to bounce, I want to say thank you for being here as always. It's a pleasure having you as uh, our regular product expert here on how to succeed in product management held every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time here on Clubhouse and recorded and shared as a podcast for all of you available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you love your podcasts. We're going to get to concluding thoughts in just a moment, but Nivi, who is a former guest here, had something to add as well. Sure. I, I really liked uh, Howard's question. I mean, it, it got me thinking, right? So for me, in my in my career, I consider myself somewhere in the mid-career stage, right? And what matters to me most at this point in time is to... Um, is to focus on uh, growth. Like as a product manager, sometimes you get pulled into so many meetings a day and you're focusing a lot on tactical stuff. And for me, it's so important to be able to allocate time towards uh, the non-urgent but really important things that matter, right? Not just for career growth, but also for the product. And in as long as I'm able to allocate 20% of my time towards that, I'm super happy. And, that, and when that happens, like Kavita mentioned, time flies. And when that doesn't always happen, it leads to frustration. And at that point in time, instead of just bottling it up, having that quick conversation with my manager actually helps me going straight to her and telling her that this is uh, this is not something I see myself doing at, on an ex, for an extended period of time. And is there something that can be taken off the plate in order to um, not just provide work-life balance, but actually let me focus on things that excite me and that helps me push the boundaries and do further, right? So that's kind of what motivates me. And as long as I'm able to do it, putting in a few extra hours a day, at least at this stage of career, doesn't really matter too much. All right. Thank you, Nivi, for joining us and for sharing those thoughts. If you here in the audience want to share your thoughts on Howard's thought-provoking question of, is work-life balance really what we should be targeting or should we be targeting something else? Um, share your thoughts on the Product Management Center Slack channel. And to do so, I'm going to turn it over to Red to share concluding thoughts and let people know how they could get onto the Product Management Center Slack channel. Rock on. Well, uh, instead of concluding thoughts around best practices and product, I think it would be best if you are curious about product management wanted to learn more, go ahead and join that Slack group. DM me. Follow these managers, follow these product managers, follow Jeff specifically, and get yourself involved in the Product Management Center at the University of Washington. It's a big deal. A university is backing the future of product management, and not just any university, but our friends Golden Blue, the dogs, one of the top-rated universities in the world is getting behind product managers. So what a, what a cool time and what a great time to be alive as a PM. And so with that in mind, every Tuesday, 4 o'clock, we'll be here for you. And if for some reason you can't make it, you can find it as a podcast on Apple or Spotify over how to succeed in product management. So with that, thank you to everyone and everybody that joined us on stage. And I'm going to point it back on you, Jeff, to throw out some concluding thoughts. How about that? <laughs> wow. I cannot do concluding thoughts yet because I have to give our, our guests a chance. Uh, Howard, uh, you... Uh, Worked at Tesla. You work at Tesla. You've worked at Microsoft. Uh, you said you've touched upon a variety of different uh, parts of the stages of the product development life cycle. Uh, any concluding thoughts in our conversation today? Uh, no, I think um, I don't believe there is a secret sauce to be an effective product manager. In my opinion, that's kind of what I learned in my uh, twenty plus year. I think every company is a little different. Uh, Microsoft was very different than Tesla. 
My previous company that I worked as a consultant is very different. So I do think it's just understanding your environment and understanding the stakeholders and just the uh, overall culture of the company, which will all ultimately drive how you uh, act and, and have to uh, be flexible, in my opinion, at the end of the day, right? Because I think every company is very, very different in terms of how a product is done. I think, you know, for me, the biggest thing as a PM, if you want to succeed, is to really own the job. Right? The buck stops at you as a PM. Be the CEO, worry about everything. But you don't have to do everything. But you still, I think you need to coordinate. You need to think about what needs to happen and then who is the best person to go do it. But if you really take ownership, I think you can really succeed at what, whatever you do. Thank you, Kavita. And again, Kavita is a founding advisory board member along with Red. Uh, Rasek on the, the both of them helped start the product management center here at the University of Washington. Uh, forever grateful for really what the two of them have done to kick it off, and super grateful for Howard joining us today and really giving some uh, not just insightful wisdom, but uh, an insightful question that I think we should all ponder is what is our goal as product managers and as humans? Uh, Nivi is uh, joined us here today, and I'm really glad she did. Uh, if you want to share some concluding thoughts. Yeah, just one thought to uh, finish it off. Uh, one thing I heard in a recent conference that I attended was don't try to be everything for everyone, right? Product management is so huge. There is UX, there is tech, there is uh, business. There are just so many pieces. And one single person cannot be an expert in all these areas. And when you try to do that, you actually stress yourself and it becomes so hard. So identify where exactly within this spectrum you fall and focus on and hone on the skills in that specific area and find a role that actually recognizes you and appreciates you doing those things which actually matter to that company, right? So that helps you manage your stress and also feel happy about what you're doing. So just don't try to be everything for everyone. All right. Great wisdom from everybody here on stage. Pleasure to have everybody here. And thank you all for listening today. This is, again, my name is Jeff Shulman, and I'm the founding director of the Product Management Center at the University of Washington. Uh, it's This Product Management Center, it's a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact, started and backed by the the university right here in Seattle, surrounded by so many amazing uh, companies leading, paving new paths in product management. But it's not just for University of Washington students, it's for all of us. We're a public institution, and we want to work with you, all of you, uh, to make the product management community uh, more diverse, more inclusive, and more skilled. And as we try to do that, we're going to need all of you. So reach out to me uh, on LinkedIn uh, or join the Product Management Center Slack channel. And uh, if you've got a lot of experience and you've got a lot figured out, come here on how to succeed in product management and share that with uh, the next generation. Um, and if you uh, want to get your company involved, uh, we're going to do bigger and bigger things going forward. And we're going to need to work with uh, companies, nonprofits, and product managers. So reach out to me if you have ideas for how we can, again, work together to make a more diverse, inclusive, and skilled product management community. Um, Thank you, everybody, for being here. It's a real pleasure, and we will see you. Not we will not see you next week on Clubhouse. Uh, this is a personal aside. I am celebrating my 14th wedding anniversary. So, speaking of work-life balance, um, I've got to honor uh, the woman who's uh, made my life uh, as happy as I could have ever imagined. So, I will not be here. We will not be here next week. But come back again the following week, July 13th. Uh, we'll be back again here on how to succeed in product management. Take care, everybody.